So we're continuing with 1 Timothy, this uh, letter from the Apostle Paul to his trusted apprentice, Timothy. Uh, Paul was probably writing from Macedonia, which is just above Greece, and Timothy was almost certainly in or around Ephesus, which is in modern-day Turkey. Actually, by uh, Australian standards, they weren't that far away from each other, but in the ancient world, uh, the distance would have seemed considerably further. Uh, And as I mentioned last week, Timothy's this young guy uh, who's leading a church in Ephesus. And we know that, um, well, from chapter 4, verse 14, we know that he's gifted and he's ordained. It says, do not neglect your gift, which was given you through prophecy, when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Now, ordination may not have looked uh, exactly like it does today in the Anglican church, but this is the closest thing that we have to ordination in the New Testament. We see a similar thing in the book of Acts, where the elders lay their hands on someone in order to appoint them to a task. So Timothy's been appointed to a leadership role in the church uh, at Ephesus, and it would seem that some of the older members of the church, well, they're, kind of, they're kind of looking down on Timothy because he's young and he's inexperienced. And you know, as I was reading this, I felt so grateful uh, for the way that you've supported me <coughs> as I come into this role. Uh, because Tissel Tith- and I have felt uh, welcome, supported and encouraged. So thank you. But that's not always the case. And it would seem that Timothy had some really difficult relationships at this early stage of his ministry. Uh, So in this section of the letter, Paul offers him some encouragement before giving him some fairly detailed instructions about how he's to relate to uh, those other people in the church, how he's to relate to other Christians. And that's what we're going to be picking up on today, our relationships within the church. But before we do that, it's worth noting that Paul encourages Timothy to set a good example. Chapter 4, verse 12, he says, Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. So Timothy is a leader within the church, and he's to set a good example. But it shouldn't stop there. Actually, we should all aim to set a good example for one another. And in so doing, we develop a culture that uh, maybe is very different from the culture that surrounds us. And the more distinctive we become, the more we set an example, not just for those within the church, but for those outside of the church. So this advice that Paul gives about the way that we relate to each other, the way that we treat each other, the way that we care for one another, is crucially important. It's important for our own spiritual health, it's important for the spiritual health of the church, and it's important for the witness of the church. When people out there look at us, what do they see? And what does that tell them about Jesus? They say you can choose your friends, but you can't choose your family. Well, when we give our lives to Jesus, we are adopted into God's family. We all share the same Heavenly Father, which makes us brothers and sisters. Look around you. Now, literally, look around you. These are your brothers and sisters in Christ. It's a scary thought, I know. Uh, And today, today we're going to think about how we treat one another, or more specifically, I think, how we love one another. 
So firstly, how should we treat those who are older than ourselves? In chapter 5, verse 1, Paul says this, Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Well, we need to keep in mind that this is uh, quite specific. It's relating to a specific young man, I, Timothy, as he uh, discusses contentious issues with one or more older men within the church. But I think we can take a general lesson from this, and it relates to the way that we discuss things with our seniors. Paul uses the word exhort, or strongly encourage. Uh, 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 So it's not wrong to disagree with an older person, but we need to be really mindful about how we're disagreeing with them. Uh, We shouldn't rebuke them harshly, but it's okay to exhort, it's okay to encourage. Uh, There's a big difference. And that's the uh, phrase, uh, and the phrase, uh, as if he were your father, tells us that we're to treat our elders in the same way that we would treat our own fathers. Uh, the problem is that we don't always treat our own parents in the way that we should do. Uh, when Isabel was about three and a half, <laughs> I was having a fairly heated discussion uh, with my father. And I didn't think I was being disrespectful, but then Isabel piped up and she said, Daddy, why are you speaking to Grandpa like that? And I felt convicted. I realised that my tone was completely inappropriate. I had to apologise there and then. But when Paul advises Timothy to exhort an older man as if he were his father, I think Timothy, uh, or rather Paul, is assuming that Timothy obeys the fifth commandment. And you know, guys, you can't switch off. What is the fifth commandment? Can anyone tell me? Honour thy father and mother. Honour your father and mother. It's the only commandment that comes with a promise. Honour your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. It's easier, obviously, when it's written in front of you. <laughs> John Stott said, Timothy is to give senior members of the church the respect that is due to age and the affection that is due to parents. I think in the West we've lost some of that respect that comes from there being an age gap. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could recapture that in our families uh, and and in our wider church family? So the next thing Paul talks about is the way we treat those who are younger than us. Still in verse 1 he says, treat younger men as brothers. And again, I think we have to read between the lines with this. I don't know about you, but when I was younger, uh, my brother and I, we used to to have fairly violent interactions on an almost uh, daily basis. I don't think any of the young men in the church would appreciate it if I started throwing darts at their feet or hitting them with sticks, uh, which is the kind of thing my brother and I used to do. Uh, But I think Paul is drawing on this idea of brotherly love. And actually, in spite of our childhood bust-ups, my brother and I do love each other. And he did uh, look out for me. He was allowed to beat me up, but no one else was. So in that sense, he, he looked out for me. So there's this idea that we look out for those who are younger than us, we aim to set them a good example. We have to encourage them. We have to build them up. Remember that these are your brothers and sisters. As clergy, we're encouraged to have what's often called a spiritual advisor. It's basically someone who, who keeps us on track in the spiritual sense. And I approached a very dear man in the UK called Alex <coughs> Ross. I said, Alex, will you be my spiritual advisor? He said, well, that sounds a bit grandiose. How about I be your older brother? And that's how it should be in the church. We're always looking 
to be an older brother or sister in the best possible sense to those who are younger than us. Next, Paul talks about how we should treat those of the opposite sex. He says, treat older women as mothers and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. And again, we see this emphasis on the church being a family. And so often we talk about the church being a family without stopping to think what that actually means to each relationship that exists within this family. So what does it mean to treat people of the opposite sex with absolute purity? Well, it means that we look at them in a platonic, non-sexual way. Uh, Now, this is a huge subject in itself. I'm not going to try and unpack it all now, but uh, just a couple of uh, simple points. Firstly, there is nothing wrong with appreciating beauty. There's nothing wrong with looking at someone and recognising that they're an attractive or beautiful person. You might say, well, what is the difference between recognising beauty and lust? Probably about two seconds, because that's all it takes for our imagination to take us beyond the point of simply seeing beauty for what it is. So we need to take control of our thoughts. And more easily said than done, but 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, we take every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ. In other words, we have to be aware of what we're thinking. We have to catch our thoughts because when it comes to lust, the further we go down that rabbit hole, the harder it is to get out. It really is a case of nipping the unwholesome thoughts in the bud, cutting them off early. And the more we reject those kind of thoughts, actually the easier it becomes to reject them. Conversely, the more we entertain those kind of thoughts, the more they just keep on coming. And the worst thing we can do, and I mention this uh, because it is such a prevalent issue in our society, but the most damaging thing that we can do in this respect uh, would be to view any sort of pornography. We cannot view pornography and treat people of the opposite sex with absolute purity. Those two things are diametrically opposed. They just can't go together. But the good news is that Jesus can set us free from these kinds of things. Uh, So I will say that if you do struggle in this area, I would urge you to confide in someone and pray with them. Get it out in the open. You don't have to get it out in the open with the whole church, but find someone that you can confide in and pray about this issue. For the men, you know, you can come and see me. I won't judge you. It's confidential. For the women, I've spoken to Bev and Josie. They'd be happy to have that conversation. Uh, But if you do struggle in, in this area, I would urge you to speak to someone about it because we need to nail it. As a church, we want our relationships to be pure and we should do everything that we can to ensure that they are. Finally, Paul talks about how we're to care for widows. Now, in Paul's letter, widow means widow. Uh, But I think we can apply the principles to anybody uh, who is unable to care for themselves. So let's keep that in mind as we work through this. So Paul begins by making the point that the church should only have to support widows for whom there really is no other options. He says uh, those who are really in need. Uh, Because if the widow has relatives, then it's their responsibility to care for her. 5 verse 4 says, but if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn first of all to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents 
and grandparents, for this is pleasing to God. You know, people in other parts of the world just assume that they will one day care for their, uh, their parents. And they uh, assume that they will eventually be cared for by their children. Now, that's no longer such a common assumption in the West. I once got speaking to a man in China. I was in Shanghai, he approached me in the street. I think he uh, wanted to practice his English and we began uh, chatting and he found out that I didn't have any children. I'm 28 at the time. Uh, and he seemed really concerned. He said, well, who's gonna look after you when you grow old? In fact, it seemed like he was taking pity on me. He, he couldn't understand why I wasn't really too concerned about the situation. For him, it was a big problem. And what this demonstrates is the essential role that families play in the care of the elderly, not just in China, but across the developing world. Countries where people don't receive any kind of support from the government. Uh, places where uh, people uh, can't afford to pay into a pension scheme. It comes down to the family. It's great that we have healthcare plans and government assistance and uh, pensions and all those things. But I wonder, is that eroding our sense of familial responsibility. And of course, as a church, we have that responsibility to all those who are within our body, and even those who are outside to a certain extent. Just before we came here, I spent quite a lot of time praying with a Nigerian family, and their mother was uh, really very unwell. She was in hospital. She needed a massive amount of treatment. And their prayer was that the doctors would allow her to come home so that they could care for her uh, within the family. Uh, this is a huge commitment. It's going to take a tremendous amount of effort for who knows how long. But they love the mother and they wanted to take responsibility uh, for her care. And I found this quite challenging. It made me think about my own responsibilities and how I'm going to fulfil them. should add that uh, that particular Nigerian family, they've emailed me recently and the mother has been released from hospital. She is uh, now living at home and they are caring for her and it's working out well so God answered uh, their prayer. Of course that's not always possible. Some people require a level of care that simply can't be provided by the family. Uh, but I think we need to prayerfully and carefully consider how we care for those in our own immediate family and those in our wider church family. So there's a key principle here uh, and that is that we don't ignore the needs of our own family and we don't ignore the needs of uh, those within our church family. So we've heard how Paul uh, has uh, instructed Timothy to relate to people in the church and how we're to care for people uh, within the church family. Uh, but I wonder, do you think you can think of a word that would summarize all this? One word that would summarize this? You can shout out. Service. Service? Love. Love? Love. That's the word I had in mind, love. If you were at the commissioning service, you may remember that I talked about us being a community that is characterized by love. And what we've been talking about today is the outworking of that. And over time, what we're going to do, we're going to build up a picture of what it looks like to be a community that is characterized by love. So as we've heard today, we show respect to our elders. We look, at, uh, we look out for the younger generations. When it comes to those of the opposite sex, we demonstrate purity and self-control. We care for those among us who are in need. That starts with our immediate family, it extends to the church family. 
And the more we can do that, the more we'll have this authenticity about us. The more we will look like the body of Christ. And actually, what's true of our relationships outside of the church should also be true of our relationship, or rather, within the church, should also be true of our relationships outside of the church. So if we're to respect our elders within the church, we're to respect our elders outside of the church. But the church is where we learn, practice, and cultivate this way of living. As the Apostle Paul said to Timothy, set an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, so often we do talk about being a family. And we pray that you'll continue to challenge us about what that really means in the way that we live our lives, in the way that we relate to others, in the way that we care for those in need within our family. Father, we pray that increasingly we'll be a community characterised by love, that we'll be deeply concerned for the, the lives and needs of those around us, that we'll support each other, look out for one another, build relationships of trust and accountability. <clears throat> Father, we pray that by your Spirit, we will increasingly look like your body, demonstrate your love within the church family and to, the, and to those outside of the church family. We pray that you help us with this by your spirit. In Jesus' name, Amen.